I'm so glad you guys are here this morning, and uh, I'm so glad that we get to, to celebrate Mother's Day together. And uh, you know what? I wanted to take some time, uh, not just to celebrate all the, mo- all the ladies who are moms, not just to celebrate all the married ladies, not just to celebrate even all the single ladies. I wanted to celebrate all the kingdom ladies today. All right? Women, uh, without women, we would be in trouble, men. We would be in trouble. And I wanted to take an opportunity to lift up the ladies in this church who are serving King Jesus and citizens of his kingdom. And uh, I'm excited because what we're looking at today is the very end of Romans, Romans chapter 16. And Romans is a really theologically rich book. When you read it, you kind of got to stop and go back. And what is Paul trying to say? Uh, And then you get to this last chapter that we're going to cover today. And it doesn't seem very theological at all. I mean, he's just listing the names of people. Make sure that you tell so-and-so I said hi. Hey, I, I, I remember this person. Make sure you give them greetings. And people have wrestled, what does this have to do with God? And the answer is it has everything to do with God. Because Paul is writing to real people in a real place who really are struggling to serve the Lord, who are, who are coming together as the church in community. The, the point is that people are important. And it's so important that Paul takes a whole chapter and just says hi to different people and tells them he's thankful for them. But what I love about this particular chapter is that in it, one-third of the people he names are ladies. They're kingdom ladies. And they're from all different backgrounds. Some are wealthy, some are not. Some are Jews, some are Gentile, uh, some are upper class, and some from their names, we think that they're, they're coming from the lower class. So they're coming from all over the place. Some are single, some are married, but uh, they're kingdom ladies and they're serving the Lord. And Paul wants to take an opportunity to encourage them. And I want to use this as an opportunity to encourage you, especially the women who are serving Christ in this church. So I'm going to read through this text. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to participate in the reading with me. Whenever we get to the name of a woman, it's highlighted in purple. And I want you to try and say that back to me as we go through it. So the word of God, I commend to you our sister, a servant of the church, man, some of these words are hard. So, I'm going to be honest with you. At Sincrae, that's the best I can do. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and, as, and of myself as well. Greet Prissa, you got it, and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. This one's easy. Greet my beloved Apanitis, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. We're not sure if Junia's a woman or a man, so I didn't put that one in there, but she might be a girl. We're not sure. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow working in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. 
Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. You, know, you guys aren't even ready for this one. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. I'm going to do these ones. You all don't have to do them. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his, who has been a mother to me as well. Man. <laughs> Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermus, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philo Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Father, would you bless this time as we look at this end of this letter, and as we try and uplift the kingdom ladies in this room, would you work for transformation that they might see you more clearly and might see themselves more clearly, and that we all might be encouraged in faith. And all God's people said, women, who are you? Who are you? And is what you do significant? Who are you? And is what you're doing, does it, does it matter? As a woman who serves Jesus in his kingdom, you are under a lot of pressure. You're under a lot of pressure to find your identity and significance in a lot of things. And those things are thrust on you 24-7. And you end up asking the question, who am I? When you're impatient with your kids, which we know happens, mothers, you leave that moment of impatience with your kids and you feel the shame. I, I was impatient again. And you go, is that who I am? Am I an impatient mom? Is that who I am? Am I, am I a bad mother? What about those moments when maybe it's on Facebook or, or maybe you're just, you know something that someone else has going on and your heart begins to compare yourself to that person? And as you compare yourself to that person, you ask the question, man, who am I? That, that, that person's life seems to be better than mine. They seem to have something that I want. Who am I? Is, is who I am how I compare myself to that other person? Is my identity found in the comparison? Or, or what about this one? When your past comes back in your memory and you remember those moments you're ashamed of and you say, who am I? Am I my past? Is that who I am? Does my past define me? You have pressures on you to find your identity in many things. But not only that, you have pressures on you to even wonder if what you're doing is significant, right? Because you serve, moms, you serve over and over and over with not a lot of credit. And somewhere in between serving the kids and, and serving in the home, you begin to wonder, does this matter? Is this significant? Does this have meaning? Or, or some of you who are working hard out in the working world and you're just wondering, is what I'm doing have significance? Is there meaning in this task? As I serve the church, does God see it? Is it important? Is what I'm doing matter? Kingdom ladies, you will struggle with the who I am question. Everyone will. 
Everyone has that question about identity. Who am I? What makes me, uh, what gives me my identity? What defines me? What gives me status? But at the same time, you'll also wonder if what you're doing matters. Does it have meaning? Is it significant? And as you wrestle with those questions, at times you will feel like it is insignificant and you'll want to quit, whatever quitting looks like. You'll begin to feel like your life isn't as significant as you wish it was. You begin to question your identity and that will beat you down. But there's good news that we see in this passage today. And the good news is this, your identity is not in something that you do. Your significance isn't in your own status or how you compare to other people. The definition of who you are is not your past. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, what you do matters. It has significance that you have no idea about. So the the, the point today is, in Christ, what you do matters. So keep doing. Don't quit. Keep doing what you're doing in service to the Lord. I've got three points today. In Christ, what you do matters, so keep doing. Let me talk about in Christ. One of the things you might have noticed in this passage is that besides the names of all the people, Paul repetitively says, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, after almost every person's name. Now, why didn't he just put it at the beginning and say, everybody here who's, who's in the Lord, everyone here who's in Christ, and then go on to the greetings? He puts it by every person's name because he wants every person to realize that their identity is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. What defines them is their relationship with Jesus and being part of God's family, and their identity is found in him. Their significance is found in knowing Christ, not in what they do, but in who knows them. Not in how hard they work, but the work that's been done for them through Jesus Christ on their behalf. In fact, Paul has used this phrase in Christ throughout the whole book of Romans. He says it over and over and over again. And in chapter 16, he uses it the most with real people. But throughout the book of Romans, he says things like, in Christ, you have eternal life. In Christ, you're you're redeemed. In Christ, you're declared righteous. Because see, without Christ, we're in trouble. And he wants them to know that they're not without Christ, they're in Christ. Without Christ, we're stuck in our sins. Without Christ, we're in Adam which is in rebellion against God, our creator. We're, we're stuck in the courtroom with the righteous judge, separated from him relationally, at risk for eternal separation from him. But in Christ, in Christ, we're restored. Jesus, the God-man, came. The Father sent the Son, and, and the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was put on the cross on your behalf punished in your place and on the third day rose again from the dead so that your payment for sin is now on him. So you're not without Christ, you're in Christ, which is exactly what Trisha's baptism signified last week. She's in Christ. You're in Christ. That's your identity before God. Paul goes on to say things like, in Christ, you're alive to God. In Christ, you're not condemned. In Christ, you're set free 
from the power of sin and death. This means that your life is no longer defined by what you accomplish or what you earn, because what you accomplished was separation from God through your sin. What you earned was eternal punishment from him. But what Jesus accomplished on your behalf was restoration to God, peace with God, renewal in your relationship with him. It means that you can't be defined by your past because Jesus has canceled your past and paid for your past by his death on the cross. Now, this is incredibly freeing if you're a mom because it means that you're not defined by those moments where you fall short as a mother. You're defined by Jesus. You're in Christ. Your significance in life isn't based on your relationship status, but on the fact that you know Christ. He has broken the power of sin in your life, and your status with God cannot be disrupted by a failure because Jesus has secured your relationship with him. Paul goes on to say, in Christ, you cannot be separated from God's love. In in Christ, you have hope. In Christ, you're part of the body. This is incredibly freeing because it means your relationship with God isn't secured by how well you love him. Because in Christ, you can never be separated from God's love for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. In Christ, your life can never be hopeless because there's always hope when you have a relationship with Jesus. He can do the impossible. And you're not alone because in Christ, you're part of a body, you're part of the church and you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to contribute. You actually have something in you that God has put in you that we need in order to be the church. So you're incredibly significant because you're in Christ. Paul goes to great lengths throughout the book of Romans and especially in this chapter to let people know that their identity is found in the Lord. In knowing Christ Jesus and all that he holds out for you. This morning, if, you've, if you're not in Christ, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and trusted him to restore your relationship with God, let, let me tell you that it's the best Mother's Day gift you could receive and it's the best you could give to your children to place your own faith in Christ and let them know about that. If you've never done that, please see me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be in Christ. Because see, Kingdom ladies, your temptation will always be to put your identity in something else besides Christ. And not just the ladies, but the men as well. We'll be tempted to find our significance elsewhere. We'll be tempted to let something else define our status and give us definition. Our identity, though, is not found in how well we parent. It's not found in how well we compare to others. It's not even found in what they say about you, whoever they is. It's what Jesus says about you. It's what Jesus has done for you. It's in Jesus' love for you. That's where your identity is. It's not in other things. So place your identity in him. Put it on. Own it. You're in the Lord. You're in Christ Jesus. There's always a danger when you find your identity in someone or something else, but not in Jesus. He's got enough for everyone to go around 
when you find your identity in Jesus, the God, man, it's incredibly life-giving. It's incredibly life-giving because even though your love for him goes up and down, his love for you never fades. That's why I love this woman named Persis in here. She, it says, beloved Persis, beloved. Her identity is in that she is loved. She's beloved of the Lord, not based on how lovable she is, but based on the fact that Jesus Christ has affection for her and sacrifices life for her on the cross. She is beloved. And all of us are beloved of the Lord. And when you begin to realize that, it sets you free. And as you begin to find your identity in Jesus and what he's done for you and what he says about you and his love for you, it changes the way you do things. It changes the way you do. Because you no longer look to what you do to give you identity. Because what you do is sometimes you'll fail at it, sometimes you'll get bored with it, sometimes you're tired of it, sometimes you just want to lay down, crawl up in the fetal position and take a nap. You don't want to do nothing. You cannot find your identity in what you do, but when you find your identity in Jesus, it affects how you do what you do. See, in Christ, what you do matters. What you do matters. What did these kingdom ladies do in Romans 16? Well, I love that Paul goes into great detail to tell us what they did. You know why? Because it matters. It matters what they did. They're in Christ. And when you are in Christ, what you do matters. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. I'm going to skip that word. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Phoebe was the person who actually carried the book of Romans to Rome. Paul placed the letter in her hands and sent her off to Rome, and, and she delivered it to the Roman church. She was also a financial supporter of Paul. Paul relied on her to fund his ministry. That's what it means when it says patron. And Paul here is commending her as trustworthy. Whatever she needs, give it to her. You can trust her. But then he also says to welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. Worthy of the saints. Now what that's not saying is Phoebe's a really good gal and so she's worthy of the status of saints. What it's saying is that in Christ she's called a saint. She's called a holy one. She has her identity in Christ. So greet her on the basis of that. See, there's a tendency, again, to think that what we do gives us definition. But what Paul's saying here is what Christ has done for her is her definition. She is a saint. You don't earn sainthood status by what you do. You, you earn it because of what Jesus has earned for you by being in Christ. A saint is someone who has been set apart by God through the work of Christ for his purposes. It's not someone who's really, really good. And Paul commends her, says to welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. Treat her as one who's in Christ. Because I trust her. I commend her to you. Phoebe is trustworthy. Kingdom ladies, if, 
if you're doing what you're doing in a trustworthy way, it matters. Because you get in the midst of the grit and grind of motherhood, of work, of serving in the church, and you do it with integrity, and you do it in a trustworthy way, and you start to wonder, does this matter? It matters that you do things in a trustworthy way. And so I commend you. If you're doing what you're doing with integrity, keep doing it. It matters. What Paul says here shows us that just carrying a letter, being a servant of the church in a trustworthy way is worth mentioning. Being a trustworthy woman of God matters. And I commend you for walking through this life with integrity. Phoebe, a servant of the church. But then Paul also writes about Prissa or Priscilla. And she's found elsewhere in, in the New Testament. She's married to Aquila. She's wealthy. She's Jewish. And whenever she's listed with her husband, she's always listed first. And there's a lot of guesses why. Maybe she, um, maybe she was like more of a spiritual powerhouse than he was. I don't know. Maybe she was more financially wealthy. She came from a well-to-do family and he didn't. They don't, they don't know. The scholars aren't sure, but she's always listed first. Yet they operate as a team. They're always together in scripture. Priscilla and Aquila. And they're friends of Paul. And Paul says, they risked their neck for me. We believe that has something to do with a time when Paul was in Ephesus and uh, started preaching and people got really angry at him and they kind of saved him somehow. But it's not, the story's not actually found completely in the Bible, so we're not sure. But we know whatever they did, it mattered to Paul. We know that when a woman stuck her neck out for Paul, it mattered to him. When she took a risk for the sake of the kingdom, it matters. And when you take a risk for the sake of the kingdom, it matters as well. I'm so thankful for those of you who went out to the beach uh, a couple times and we shared the gospel down on the beach. That was a huge risk. And it matters that you took it. It matters. In service to the Lord, it matters. That's what we see from Pris Priscilla. But, you know, a little bit of backstory. One of the things I love about Priscilla and Aquila is that they trained this guy named Apollos. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see Apollos. And Apollos was an incredible speaker really good speaker, just a little bit limited in his knowledge of Jesus. And so Priscilla and Aquila are listening to Apollos preach and they realize, man, this guy's a powerhouse for Jesus, but he doesn't quite know the whole story. Apollos was teaching about the baptism of John and we believe about the teachings of Jesus, but he didn't quite understand the baptism that Christ com commanded before he ascended into heaven. We don't think he quite understood Jesus's death and resurrection. We don't think he quite understood the filling of the Holy Spirit. He, he was all about Jesus and John's baptism, but he didn't get the whole picture. And very wisely, both Aquila and his wife Priscilla, rather than calling him out in public, they pull him aside. And they say, hey man, can we give you a little bit more knowledge here? Can we drop some knowledge on you of what's actually happened in Christ? Can we talk to you about Jesus's death and resurrection and about the baptism of the Spirit? It, and it clicks in Apollos' head. And they send him off and his ability to be successful and effective in preaching like doubles. If you read on, it just says, when he spoke, he refuted anyone that would come against him verbally very well. He was able to convince people from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah because Aquila and his wife Priscilla theologically trained him. Theologically trained him. 
Not only that, but they hosted people in their home, it says, and all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. Not only was Prisca, Priscilla someone who took risks for the kingdom, but she's also someone who invested in people. She invested in Apollos, she hosted a church in her home along with her husband. And I think you need to hear that when you invest in people, as a lady of the kingdom, it matters. Sometimes when you invest in people, you see very quick results like she did with Apollos. And then he goes out and he preaches and all these people come to know the Lord or whatever happens. And sometimes it's just slow. But whatever it is, however you're investing in people, it matters. It matters to the Lord and it matters to us as the church. And so let me encourage you, keep investing in people. Keep investing in people, it matters. Keep investing in your children, it matters. You don't see the fruits of, mothers, you won't see the fruits of your investments till much later on, but keep investing in them. Don't quit, don't quit. Phoebe, Prissa, and Mary. It just says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. In fact, that's what he says next. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Their names actually mean dainty and delicate. And so we think maybe that they're some, from some sort of like aristocratic family, um, but we're not sure, but that's what their names mean. So they're working in the Lord and it says, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. So what were they doing? They're working hard, they're working for the Lord. What were they doing? We don't know, but we know it matters because Paul wrote it here. Even though we don't know what they did, we know that serving the Lord mattered to Paul. And so Paul takes the time to say, thank you for doing what you're doing in service to Christ. They've worked hard in the Lord. Each of you has spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit has filled you through the work of Christ and you have something in you that can benefit the body of Christ. And we need that gift. We need that to grow as a church. We need you to use what God has put in you for the benefit of his kingdom. And some of you are already using that. And you're working hard using that gift. And you're wondering, is anyone watching? Does anyone know what I'm doing? as I serve my kids, as I serve the church, as I work in the community, as a representative of Christ, doesn't matter because I'm working hard. Even if no one knows what you're doing, it matters. Keep doing it. It matters. We don't know what these ladies were doing, but it's significant enough to just say, keep at it. They're working hard in the Lord and for the service of the church and for King Jesus. When you work hard and no one sees what you do, no one knows what you do, it still matters. It still matters. Don't quit. I love that Paul shows the significance of all of what these women are doing. In fact, he doesn't use the phrase work hard for any of the men, although he commends them for other things. It's the women who are, thank you for working hard for the Lord. He uses that four times for them. And I love that he goes out of his way to honor these women, lifting them up because they're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, what you do matters. And that's what Paul's trying to let them know. I honor you as those who are in the Lord that what you're doing is matters. What, what you're doing matters. It makes me really want to create a culture here at New City where we honor people for serving. 
You know, where, where it's not about how much you did, it's the fact that you did something. You're not ranked against everybody else. You're just in it with everybody. You're just in it with everybody working hard for the Lord and whatever you're doing, it's significant. It's significant. Let's try and do that. Let's create a culture, just like Paul's saying in this passage, where we lift up people, not because of how much they did or even how well they do it, but because they're trying to do it, because they're trying to serve. For Paul, this honoring is personal, though. Look at what he says next. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Now, again, we don't quite know what this means. Some, some think it might mean that when Paul became a Christian, he sort of lost his roots in his Jewish family, like they rejected him. And he needed uh, a mother figure in his life, and Rufus's mom played that for him. And I, I, love, I like to think about that because, you know, here we have the super apostle Paul. And he's like, tell mom I said hi. You know, this woman who was a mother to me. We don't know what it was, but we know that this woman and her relationship to Paul was significant for him. It was personal. It was personal. Paul's not just running down the checklist, throwing compliments to people, but this woman really had a deep relationship with him. And it makes me think, ladies, when you come into someone's life and you act as a spiritual mother to them, it matters. It matters. It matters when you take someone under your wing and you pour into them and you love them and you care for them, whether it's your own children or not. It matters. It matters. Paul helps us see this culture of honoring those who serve and how it matters. But one of the things I love is he's, he's also sort of creating a culture where he's using his power as an apostle to generate power for others. See, Paul's often accused of being, um, of buying into the system called patriarchy. And patriarchy is where men have all the power and they hold on to it. They don't share it with none of the women. But the, really the opposite's happening here. Paul is giving a carte blanche recommendation for women like Phoebe saying, listen, she has used her power to help me. And by my power, I'm going to use it to help her. Not only that, but I want you to give her power. Do whatever she needs you to do because she is trustworthy. And I think even as we think about a culture of honor in this church where we serve people, not based on how well they did it, but based on that they tried, what does it also to look to be um, a church where we share power and use our power to generate power for other people? where we use the authority that God's given us to receive help from one another, but then also to help others and lift them up and allow them to lead. Paul calls these women fellow workers, sisters, and peers. Leaders, I, I, I think if you're a leader in this church, I think we have to be careful that as we lead, we make sure we're releasing power for other people to lead in other areas and that we're not holding on to power for ourselves. It's always on the table. It's always dangerous. Part of God giving authority is that his power is always generative. It means it generates more power. So if you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, God creates this per perfect garden in Eden, but then he gives them power to cultivate the garden. He doesn't say, hey, 
here's what you should name the animals. He says, you name the animals. He gives them authority from his authority. They're not God, but yet he gives them power to act on his behalf in the garden. And as we think about New City growing, what does it look like to be a church that generates power, that creates new areas of ministry where new people can step forward and lead that ministry? And as people step up in that ministry, what does it look like to send them out to start new ministries? You know, even as we have 117 groups, my hope is that we have three groups right now. My hope is that in the fall, maybe we have five with new leaders stepping up because power has been generated for them to lead in new ways. Paul shows, shows us a culture of honor, but also a culture of power generation in the church. Because in Christ, what we do matters. In Christ, what we do matters. So keep doing. If your identity is secure in Christ, and it's not in what you do, and everything that you do in the name of Jesus matters, don't quit. Keep doing. Because it truly does matter. Despite your inadequacies, despite your weaknesses, despite your sin, despite your failures to trust God, part of learning to trust God is continuing to move forward even when your faith is weak. Don't quit. Keep doing. God does not identify you by your failures. He's, he knows your failures. He knows your weaknesses. He knows those bad parenting moments that you've had. And your, your identity is in Jesus Christ. And if it's in Christ, what you do matters. So keep doing. Keep doing. I'll close with this story. Ruth Moan was an example of someone who just kept doing. Ruth, as a young woman, she became a Christian. She came to faith and had a very powerful sense of the Lord. Um, when she was just a teenager, I believe, she married a man named Bill. And as they grew together, Bill felt this calling to be an evangelist, to travel around the country and share the gospel. And he traveled a lot. It was a really hard thing for their family. They ended up having a couple kids and, uh, named Beverly and John. And it was a difficult season because the, the Bill was gone a lot and sharing and preaching the gospel. And a lot fell on Ruth to manage the home. She had to manage some properties that her and Bill owned. She had to pay the bills. She had to spend a lot of time raising these children. And her faith wasn't very complex. She wasn't really theologically minded. She actually never read any books about spirituality besides the Bible. And she really focused on the book of Proverbs because she just felt like she needed wisdom to, to raise these kids while her husband was traveling. Eventually, though, she led her son John to Christ. It's not me. She led her son John to Christ. And what impacted the, him the most was that his mom just kept doing. Like one foot in front of the other kind of faith. Whatever the challenges came up, she just believed and moved forward. And what's amazing is that her son, John, grew up to be one of the most theologically profound pastors of our time. Her son is John Piper, who pastors Bethlehem Baptist Church up in Minnesota, started Desiring God Ministries, and, and it has just been hugely impactful in his theological understanding of God in this time. And yet his mom 
wasn't very theological at all. Just simple, one foot in front of the other faith. She just kept doing. In Christ, she knew that what she did mattered, and so she just kept moving forward. Tim Challies wrote a little article about this, and he said, though she did not give John Piper the content of his theology, she shaped the way he approached life. Your identity is not in what you do, but in Jesus. And when you find your identity in Christ, you'll realize that what you do matters. So keep doing. God will use it in ways that you cannot imagine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for our identity in you. And we ask that you would take that and seep that deep into our hearts. That the ladies here would know and rely on the love you have for them, and that all of us would. Father, what we learn from Romans 16, help us to apply in our lives and transform our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me now? Let's sing the Lord our God.